Merry Christmas, church. Merry Christmas. We continue um, our series and also our time um, in Advent. Um, by just way, a quick reminder that Advent uh, literally means the, the arrival. And so it is the start of the church year. Um, it is the start of the Christmas season, all um, with this point of remembering that Jesus arrives. He shows up. The arrival of Jesus has, has come to us. Um, what, what is notable about this time of the year as well is that it, is, it happens as we get further and further um, into darkness. Uh, the, the time of year that we find ourselves in is the time where it, the, the, the daylight is shorter and the nights are longer. And so in her wisdom, the church said, let, let it be in the darkness that we um, celebrate the arrival of a great light. We'll be um, looking at the, the story of John the Baptist, um, who prepares the way for the Lord, as was read um, this morning in our Advent reading. I'm going to be in um, Luke chapter 3, I'm starting at verse 1. I'm reading from the NRSV, and it says this. In the 15th year of the reign of Emperor Tiberius, when Pontius Pilate was governor over Ju of Judea, and Herod was ruler of Galilee, and his brother Philip, ruler of the region of Iturea and Trachonitis, and Lysanias, ruler of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. He went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of the prophet Isaiah, the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill shall be made low. And the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough ways made smooth. And all flesh shall see the, shall see the salvation of God. John said to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come, bear fruits worthy of repentance. Do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our ancestor. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. Even now the axe is lying to the, to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear fruit, good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowds asked him, what then shall we do? In reply, he said to them, whoever has two coats must share with anyone who has none. And whoever has food must do likewise. Even tax collectors came to be baptized, and they asked him, Teacher, what should we do? He said to them, Collect no more than the amount prescribed for you. Soldiers also asked of him, And we, what shall we do? He said to them, Do not extort money from anyone by threats or false accusations, and be satisfied with your wages. As the people were filled with expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Messiah, John answered all of them by saying, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I is coming. I am not worthy to tie the thong of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in hand to clear the fresh threshing floor and to gather the wheat into the granary but the chafe will be burned with unquenchable fire. So with many exhortations, he proclaimed the good news to the people.
Father, we thank you for your arrival. We thank you for your pursuit of us. Lord, thank you for finding us in the darkness. And may we continue to grow in our awareness and understanding of you. We pray that in Jesus' name. Notice the opening of this, this passage here. That as Luke writes to us, he lays out for us a hierarchy. He, he mentions the who's who of the, of the world. As he goes through it, he lets us know, in the 15th year of Emperor Tiberius, in the reign of Caesar, and there's Pontius Pilate who governed. Herod was ruler over Galilee. His brother Philip, ruler of the region of Iturea and Trachonitis. Lysanias, ruler of Abilene. During the high priesthood of Ananus and Caiaphas, the word of God came. Came to who? You look at this list and you would think that, that it would be out of this list of people. You would think that it would be out of this list uh, of, of who is significant, who holds authority, who it is that people knew the names of. That you'd walk through this list that, that Luke takes us through and that we would make a conclusion that would say, it's got to be someone in this list. The Word of God came... To Caesar? No. The word of God came to the governor, to Pontius Pilate. No. The word of God came to Herod. No. Well, maybe the, the neighbors, maybe the surrounding region, certainly the, the, maybe the, the word of God came to them. Did it come to Philip? No. Well, then let's go to another list. Let's look at another list of hierarchy. Maybe, maybe it wasn't the, the rulers of the time. Maybe it wasn't the governing authorities of the time. Maybe it was the religious leaders of the time. So let's go to that list. Did it come to Caiaphas? No. Did it come to Annas? No, it didn't. The word of God came to a man on the fringe of society, a wild man in the wilderness. It came to a strange guy in the desert. You ever have those moments in, in your life where you see someone off in the distance and, and, and they're waving in your direction? They have a smile on your face, and you kind of go, oh, that's nice of them, and you wave back. And they maybe shout, hey, how's it going? And, and you shout back, yeah, good, I'm well. And then from behind you, you hear another voice that says, hey, Kevin. And then you realize, I wasn't being waved at. <laughs> I wasn't being greeted. See, we would think in this moment that, that heaven was waving at the people of great authority. That it would be them that the word of God came to. But it wasn't. It was the man off in the distance on the fringe of society that heaven was waving at. And saying the word of God came to John. 
But not only this list of, of authority, not only this list of significance that the Word of God waves over, but you actually notice the location of things. All four gospel accounts make sure to mention that John was in the wilderness. That when the Word of God came, it didn't come to the palace. It didn't come to the mountaintop. It didn't come to the vineyard. It didn't, didn't come to the city. But the Word of God came to John, who was in the wilderness. It was in the barren. It was in the lifeless. It was in the dangerous. It was in the quiet place that the Word of God arrived to. And in this space, what we discover is that, once again, the kingdom of God completely flips our expectations of who he notices, who he speaks to, and the places that he speaks to us in. That we often make these conclusions that it's those that are in these places of significance and authority, those that have versus those that don't have, that they are the ones to be called blessed. But the kingdom of God seeks to upset that understanding and flips things upside down. And it says, John in the wilderness, that is the one that the word of God came to. See, what, what, what heaven is constantly getting us to a place of understanding is that the word of God does not come to the proud, to the arrogant, and to the haughty. But the word of God comes to those that are humble and in humble spaces. The word of God, like God himself, stoops down to the lowly places. The word of God, just like himself, seeks to be clothed in the clothes of a servant. In the places of our loneliness, in the places of our desolation, in the places of our worry, in the places of our pain, in the places of our turmoil, in the places of violence, and in all these different spaces that we would soon discover that that is the space that the Word of God comes to. God speaks to the humble. God visits the humble. And if it's these spaces and to these people that the Word of God comes to, then that completely unsettles the posture of our living. It's, to me, intriguing, but also so appropriate that, that Christmas is all about embracing a baby. Because what's the posture that you have to take to, in order to embrace a baby? You don't come in with violence and arrogance. You don't come in in a, in a posture that's aggressive. In order to embrace a baby, you have to stoop down. You have to be gentle. You have to be calm. You have to be a servant. You have to be slow. And so the season of Advent causes us to be in a place where we must recognize that the word of God comes to the humble. When Tiago was two years old, there's a little bit of boom in, in the mic, if, that's, if we could take that out, but when Tiago was, was two years old, he, um, we, we were on a walk with him in the Seaport Village. 
And those of you that interact with Tiago, you just know that he moves at his pace and in the direction that he wants, and he's moving along in front of us. He never moves along in life in the pace that we are also moving along in. But here he is walking in front of us in Seaport Village, and as he's walking in his direction, he's, he's new to this walking thing, so it isn't in a completely direct and straight line. There's a lady that's, that's on the opposite side of us, and she's power walking. She's getting her exercise in for the morning, and, and she's just determined to move along how she wants to move along. And we just know that these two people are going to come full head into one another. <laughs> but we were stunned. We were stunned in the moment that, that she begins to reprimand our two-year-old child and reprimand us because Tiago didn't move out of her way. And she even, as she passes us by, makes this loud mutter so that we would hear some people and just kept on on her exercise throughout the morning. Why I bring that, that story up is, is you know, that, that you just realize that's the posture of, of her living. That's the opposite of humility that we are so determined to go our direction at our pace, how we'd like to go, that all of a sudden we don't recognize the humanity that exists around us, the growth that, that, that people are, are seeing in their own lives, or the grace that we need to offer the people around us, that what we just determine is that that child needs to move out, move out of my way because I'm the one that's exercising this morning. See, the Word of God comes to the humble, to the gentle, to the peacemakers, to those that are mourning, to those that are longing for justice and righteousness. The word of God comes to the places of darkness. And, 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 and what you realize as well is that Luke just masterfully and, and with such genius writes this to us and and he, and he gives this list of hierarchy and says, you know, here's all the people of significance and authority. And the word of God didn't come to them, it came to John. And it came to him in the wilderness. And then it goes a step further and then let, lets us know about the ministry of John. And this is what it says the ministry of John is going to look like. The voice of one crying out the, in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight and Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough ways made smooth, and all, shall, all flesh shall see the salvation of God. And, and here in this moment, what you find is, is that the, the Word of God comes to a humble man in a humble place and gives him a ministry that says a great leveling will happen through him. That, that the high will be brought low and the low will be brought high. And so in this place, you, you discover that the message of John and the method of his living are meant to be in congruence with one another. And it's the, then the same call upon our lives that the message on our lips and the method of our living are meant to match one another. 
God's word didn't come to the mountaintop or the hill. And his word tells us every mountain and hill will be made low. Friends, listen, God stoops down. He will come to the humiliated and the rejected and the exploited. Jesus' trajectory, his trajectory of movement is downward. And in a world that is always seeking upward mobility, Jesus demonstrates to us a life that moves from power to servanthood, from strength to weakness, from heaven to earth. What we discover is that the movement of Jesus matches the message of Jesus. He stoops down. The advent of Jesus is meant to change everything. And Luke goes further into this. Here's the hierarchy of people. Did God speak to them? No, he came to John. Was it in the palace that he spoke? No, it was in the wilderness. What, what's the, the ministry that, that's here? Is that, that the message is that, that, the, that the high will be brought low and the low will be brought high. Well, then let's add even further to this by recognizing the crowd that's responding to the message. The crowd that's responding to the message are the fringe, the rejected, and the despised of society. Those that are actually going into the waters of baptism are those that we would say are, are too far gone. But no, these are the, precisely the people that are responding to the message that, that, that is being preached here. Look at it. Look at the, the, the crowds are the ones that are responding. The ones that John just called you brood of vipers. How is that for pastoral care? How would that be for our church greeting on Sunday mornings that we get up on stage or Brittany's about to lead us into worship and says, good morning, you brood of vipers. The brood of vipers are the ones that are responding and stepping into the waters of baptism. It's not only the brood of vipers, but it's the tax collectors. The traitors, the people that are working with Rome to exploit and to take away from the people of God. And not only them, but it's also the soldiers. The soldiers are the ones that are responding. And there's ambiguity in this. We don't know if it's the Roman soldiers that are responding or if it's uh, the local Jewish men that are being used in local affairs. But either way, it's people that are using their authority and their violence in order to exploit and take away from the Israelites. This is the crew of people that are responding to the word. And here demonstrated is that the crowd matches the message that the low are being brought high and the high are being brought low. And it matches the setting in the wilderness. And it, it just keeps on going and going. And John, is, Luke, as he's writing to this, is just re-emphasizing to us that the word of God, like Jesus himself, stoops down into the places of desolation and isolation. He stoops down. The despised, the rejected, the overlooked, 
they're the ones that are curious and receptive to John. In college, one day after Wednesday night Bible study, I asked a, a group of, of friends that night if they just wanted to jump in a car with me to drive to the Grand Canyon. We were living in Los Angeles, and I just thought, hey, this would be fun to do tonight. And we filled the car. There was five of us, and we just decided to take a seven-hour trip because most of us had never seen the sunrise over the Grand Canyon. And so we drove for seven hours, sat down, and in just about 30 minutes, all of a sudden, the sun breaks over the Grand Canyon. It was a stunning sight. It, it, was, it was incredible to see this, this valley to see this low place suddenly be, be filled with light. The, the message or the, the prayer that was upon Zachariah's lips when he saw his child John, we read earlier this morning, but I'll read it to us again, looks at him and says, And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will be go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the forgiveness of their sins. By the tender mercy of our God, the dawn from on high will break upon us to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. A great an awesome light has broken in on those of us sitting in the darkness. And it leaves us speechless. We sit with widened eyes and silence on our lips, trying to soak in every detail that is before us. A thrill of hope. The weary world rejoices, for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. God has made his way to us. He has stooped down into the place of darkness. And for us, it's a point of confusion and celebration. How in the world did I get to be amongst the people who are now sitting in light. How did I get to be in this place? Have you ever sat in those places where you just sit and wonder, how, how did I get here? How, how in the world did I get to be amongst these people? You're just floored and humbled by the place that you sit in. Pastor Deb has a membership, I think, to the Marriott, and she's had her membership there for years and years, and sometimes she'll let us reap the benefits of her membership. We go to conferences or conventions together, and she'll let us know, I, I, I book 
the reservation through my membership. And then she'll let us know, hey, tomorrow morning you get to go into the ex exclusive lounge because of my membership. And you step into those spaces, and I'm not entirely sure how to act in those spaces. <laughs> and I look at Deb, and I look at Larissa, and I go, it makes sense for you guys to be here. <laughs> I heard it said before this way, none of us swaggers into the kingdom of God. But we sit at the banquet table of the king and we just sit and wonder, how did I get here? I don't deserve to be here. The word of God, before we are become preparers of the way, we discover that the word of God has come to us. The way that scripture describes it is like a woman that's inside of her house flipping over couch cushions going through the kitchen junk drawer and then going through it again, trying to find that which is most precious to her. Jesus has sought us out. He's turned over every couch cushion in every corner of the earth looking for us. He's come to us. He's found us. He's brought us to himself. He's breathed new life into our lungs. And now we sit in the light. The word of God came to John, and then he was a voice in the wilderness saying, prepare the way of the Lord. We prepare the way not to cause God to arrive, but because he has already made his way to us. And I love this quote that's in the devotional for this week from, from Fleming Rutledge, and, and it says this. It says, if I'm told over and over to repent, to change, to orient my life to God, nothing ever will happen. I don't need to hear exhortations to repent. I need power from outside of myself to make me different. Friends, try as we might, we can never resurrect our own dead bodies. But the Lord has pursued us. He has made a way to us. He has found us. And now, because of that, we sit in the light. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this. He said, Christ is coming. Of his own will, by his own strength, and out of his own love, he has the power and the desire to overcome all obstacles, even the greatest. He is the preparer of his own way. It is this, and really only this, that makes us preparers of the way. The advent of Jesus is here. He has made his way to us. And all three groups in this crowd all ask the same question. And I think that Luke is causing us to ask that same question to ourselves. What then shall we do? What do we do? How do we live? How does this change us? And, 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 and John's response to them is bear fruit worthy of repentance. Bear fruit worthy of repentance. And he tells them, if you have two coats, then go into the lobby and give one to World Relief. If you have food, then go into the lobby and provide for people in need. 
Don't collect more than you ought to. Don't extort money. But the message here is that we desire to embody and exhibit the grace that is already on its way. The, 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 the message here from John is to say, go from using your power for your own self-gain to using your power to make a way for others. Because this properly demonstrates to the world around you that God is on his way and he has already made his way to you. Because we're speaking of a God that stoops low, who will arrive for the lowly and the rejected and the humiliated and the outcasts. And if this is the God that's on our way, then what we need to be as followers of Christ is not a detour for others as they hear this message on our lips, but we would be a straight path. That it would be clear to people that, yes, you can draw a direct line from us to Jesus. Prepare the way, make a way, make it clear, make it smooth for them that our response that Jesus is on the way is to say, let us live in alignment with who he is so it makes sense to the world that when they interact with us, it makes sense to them that we do belong to Jesus. What if I'm my introduction what if I'm my neighbor's introduction to Jesus? Will they conclude, yes, that makes sense. You look alike. Do they encounter one that creates proper expectancy for the one that is on the way? Or am I a roadblock? Am I debris on the trail that needs to be ignored? The path is meant to be straight. We'll go back to Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He says this. The task is this. A charge of immense responsibility for all those who know of the coming of Christ. The hungry man needs bread and the homeless man needs a roof. The dispossessed needs justice and the lonely need fellowship. The undisciplined need order and the slave needs freedom. To allow the hungry man to remain hungry would be blasphemy against God and one's neighbor, for what is nearest to God is precisely the need of one's neighbor. It is for the love of Christ, which belongs as much to the hungry man as to myself, that I share my bread with him and that I share my dwelling with the homeless. If the hungry man does not attain to faith, then the guilt falls on those who refused him bread to provide the hungry man bread is to prepare the way for the coming of grace. We get the opportunity to introduce people to what Jesus is like by the way that we interact and treat and regard the people around us. We give them a proper introduction for the one that is coming into their lives. I just think about it this way, that the, the most powerful and beautiful stories are the ones that do foreshadowing really well. That as you watch that character, as you watch their circumstances, as you watch what, navigate, what they navigate through, and then you see the ending of the story, that all of a sudden that aha moment comes into your mind and he goes, oh man, they've been painting the picture all along of what was to come. And we are meant to be a foreshadowing for people of what Jesus is like. So that when they interact with us, and then they get to know Jesus, it's like, oh, 
It makes sense now. Our lives can be beautiful signposts, clues, and foreshadowing to our neighbors of the one who is on the way. But what is asked of us is a constant life of repentance. Sit with me just for a moment longer and see what Luke's argument for what repentance means. He starts this narrative by listing people in authority. Caesar, Pontius Pilate, Philip. He goes through the list. Here's the list of lords. And then he lists the high priests. He lists kings and priests. And then he tells us the Lord is on his way. And what he does there is causes us to recognize that our allegiance and our affection is meant to be to the Lord that's on his way. And so everything about our lives doesn't get oriented towards Caesar anymore. Everything about our lives doesn't get oriented towards this list of people that he starts with, but everything about our lives gets reoriented, reshaped, redirected to the Lord that's on his way. And every day of our living is meant to be in that constant point of turning. That everything about our lives is meant to say, does this line up with the Lord who is on the way? And so we live with a constant point of repentance, a constant point of turning that would happening in our lives where everything about us would be redirected towards Jesus. He's the one that's on the way. He's the one that our life turns to and points to. He is the King of Kings, and he is our high priest. He is the one that everything about us will constantly be shifted towards. So what we prioritize, who we value, what we notice, who the Lord of our life is, it's all different now because the Lord is on his way. In the absolute masterpiece masterpiece and classic, Aladdin, it says this. It says this. Make way for Prince Ali. It jumps down. Make way, here he comes, rings bells, bang the drums, you're going to love this guy. What's happening in that song, right, is a, a reorienting. It's this place where genie's coming through the crowd and saying, make way, make space to be able to embrace this guy. And you're going to have to lay down other things in order to celebrate this one. And he's worth, he's worth embracing. So, but here in Scripture, the call to prepare the way is a call for our affection and allegiance to be given over to the one who has just come into town. Make way, clear the roads, anything that clutters his arrival or hinders our ability to embrace him needs to be let go. Make way. Make way for the King of Kings. 
as we turn to communion. The stunning picture laid before us is that Jesus clothes himself in the clothes of a servant. He stoops down and he washes his disciples' feet. And the instruction to us is essentially, this is the way. This is the way I'm going. This is the direction I'm headed. You go and do likewise. To, to prepare the way is a call upon our lives to embody, to exhibit, to, to, to demonstrate to the world around us. Jesus has stooped down to wash my feet.